Go ahead and turn this morning to John chapter 19. We're going to continue in our series in the Gospel of John. We're getting towards the end. Been a, been a, been a long road through John, but uh, one that's been very profitable for us, I trust, as we look at the life of Jesus through John's eyes. Interesting that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are all, they call those the synoptic gospels. They're all uh, potentially based on like some of the same information, very, very similar throughout except for, uh, except for Mark. Everything with Mark is, and immediately, immediately, Mark is the roller coaster gospel. But uh, John, uh, after the other gospels came out, John kind of took a, a different route in his gospel, he did cover the life of Jesus, but he uh, really seemed to focus on the the nature of Jesus as the Son of God and uh, focus on his miracles and different miracles that he did, and just uh, uh, a great, great perspective. I can imagine if we took any four of us in the congregation and uh, put us through the same event, you know, for a week, the stories that would come out of that and the differences, you know, from our own perspectives. So I love, uh, love the Gospel of John and um, what he has to tell us about Jesus. Dr. Michael Green, the British, British theologian, in his book Man Alive, writes this. He said, Christianity does not hold the resurrection to be one among many tenets of belief. Without faith in the resurrection, there would be no Christianity at all. And Peter Kreeft and Ronald Toselli in their Handbook of Christian Apologetics write this, the existential consequences of the resurrection are incomparable. It is the, it is the concrete, factual, empirical proof that Life has hope and meaning. Love is stronger than death. Goodness and power are ultimately allies, not enemies. Life wins in the end. God has touched us where we are and has defeated our last enemy. And we are not cosmic orphans as our modern secular worldview would make us. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only the bedrock of the Christian faith our Christian faith, but it is the only solid, unshifting rock upon which humanity itself can stand, right? Think about it for a minute. All the other philosophies and different things, they all change, right? Because biblical Christianity is the only one that depends on God himself to fulfill. All the other religions, all the other philosophies depend on us in our human weaknesses and fallacies, don't they? They depend on events that shift and change, right? The resurrection, the gospel of Christ, the only solid, unchanging rock for humanity by which we can find true worth, true meaning and significance in ourselves and in life, Everything else, as Solomon Apley put it, is a chasing after the wind, isn't it? You keep running, you just never get it. 
Because it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that both proclaims and proves beyond all doubt that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So it's no wonder that the enemy of our souls and his evil spiritual forces and humans that are under their influence will do just about anything to cast doubt on this one event, the resurrection of Christ. One such argument that surfaced from what I read about 200 years ago, but I think actually it's much older than that, and I'll tell you why in a minute, is called the swoon theory. Anybody ever hear of the swoon theory? That uh, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just, you know, because of uh, the beating, the incredible beating that he took, the loss of blood, the pain of the crucifixion, just this total shock to his system, he just merely became unconscious, right? Um, and it seems here in our next section in John's Gospel that John is answering just such an argument. Did Jesus actually die? Because without a death, right, if he just became unconscious and revived in the tomb uh, three days later, no miracle, right? He wasn't who he said he was. So it all hinges on the resurrection. So it seems that John is, is actually in the gospel here answering that argument because he includes several details that would have provided certain evidence of Christ's death. Let's look at it this morning. John 19, beginning of verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Remember, Jesus was crucified between two other criminals. There was three of them up on Golgotha that day. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. I want to entitle the message this morning, that you also may believe. So, first, what do we see here? You have the Jewish authorities, who for sure, as we've talked about, wanted Jesus dead. They wanted him out of the way. Um, they wanted him buried and gone. We've had enough of him, right? He's messing with the system here. Um, so they wanted his death hastened, right? Um, just because, but not only because they just wanted him dead, but because of the Sabbath, okay? Uh, remember the Sabbath day for the Jews, you could do no work. So burying a body was work. You couldn't do that on the Sabbath. But this was also, as the scripture says, a high day. This was also the Passover. The Passover was the celebration, the annual celebration, where Jews came in from all over the world to celebrate God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, right? Years and years and years and years before. 
Okay? But every year they would come to Jerusalem, they would come to the temple, and they would worship, and they would celebrate this feast of Passover, the celebration of God's deliverance of his people out of bondage in Egypt. And, you know, you don't want to welcome all these visitors and tourists and worshipers to town while you got three people hanging on a cross on the hill over yonder, right? Just kind of doesn't look right. Right, there they are. Yeah, here, here, we're Jews and all, and here's three of our citizens hanging there to our disgrace. No, you don't want that. So they wanted to hurry things along, and to do that, the Bible says they ask Pilate to have their legs broken. Now, why is that? Because you remember the feet were nailed to the cross, and in that position, they had to push up on their feet to exhale. It was an excruciating experience that took hours, sometimes even days. It was, it was devised, it was invented as a slow, agonizing, painful death. They just got so weak, right, that they, they just couldn't push anymore, right? So to break the legs, I know this is gruesome, but this is, this is what happened. They would break the legs so that they couldn't push up anymore. And they could not exhale. That would hasten things very, very quickly. So the soldiers, uh, under orders from Pilate, break the legs of the other two, but not Jesus' legs. Why? Because these trained soldiers, um, and whoever else may have been there to verify this, doesn't say, um, they had determined that Jesus was already dead. But one of the soldiers, just to make sure, just to make absolutely sure, took his spear and thrust it in Jesus' side. And at once, the scripture says, there came out blood and water. Bible commentary by Jameson Fawcett Brown says this, It is now well known that the effect of long-continued and intense agony is frequently to produce a secretion of a colorless lymph within the pericardium, that's the membrane enveloping the heart, amounting in many cases to be a very considerable quantity. So up through the side, maybe piercing a lung, piercing that sac around the heart, causing the water and the blood to flow. Albert Barnes, in his well-known commentary, adds this. He says, there can be no doubt that such a stroke from the strong arm of a Roman soldier would have caused death if he had not been already dead. And it was doubtless to furnish this conclusive proof that he was actually dead. So, the physical death of Jesus, necessary for there to have been a miraculous resurrection, and a life-changing gospel, and a way, and a truth, and a life, and a hope of our own future, our own salvation, right? Our own future resurrection to everlasting life. All of that rested on this death, which was proven to the satisfaction of the soldiers, the Jewish authorities, and the Roman governor. They all, right, they all knew it. He was dead. And then John adds this verse. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. 
John says, says this, is, this is my affidavit, if you will. Right? I saw this. I was an eyewitness to these things. Now, now remember, the, the, the great thing about the Gospels that, that we know is that they were written in the time period not too far after these events had happened. Right? Uh, so that there were people that were still alive when these Gospels were written, that if you wanted to, you could check with this one and this one and this one. And so in that time period, right, nobody could disprove these facts from the Gospels. Otherwise, they would have been thrown out. They would have been rejected. Not only could they have not done it in their time period, but archaeology and other study and people who have, who have wanted through the years to disprove that have never been able to disprove the Gospels so that they have survived these last 2,000 plus years. Okay, so John is there. He's an eyewitness. Other people were eyewitnesses. The facts are there proving the fact that Jesus was dead. And then as we will see later on, um, facts of his resurrection. But to sweeten the pot even more, and to show God's predetermined plan in it all, John says that these things were a direct fulfillment of God's words. Prophecies written long ago. One of them, and this is so cool, remember how we said that this was the time of the Passover, right? The time where all the Jews came together to celebrate Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt, which in itself is a giant prophetic picture. Right of humanity's slavery to sin and death. And how God, in the same way that he sent Moses to deliver Israel out of Egypt, sent Jesus to deliver us out of sin and death to eternal life. Right? It's a giant picture of our salvation, which is just awesome how God does that. So... Um, if you know the account, you know that the final plague on Egypt after the locusts and the frogs and the hail and the darkness and the five other plagues, the final plague was the death of the firstborn. Okay? In every household in Egypt, the firstborn would die. That was God's final plague because they, they would not believe. They would not let Israel go. God says, it's going to cost you. You better let them go. Pharaoh refused, right? So here comes this plague. The death angel, the scripture says, was going to come through and the firstborn of every household would die. Except you could be spared if you would do this one thing. You would sacrifice a lamb, a perfect, spotless, innocent lamb, and take its blood and put it on the doorposts of your house. The death angel would see that blood and pass over your house, that's why it's called the Passover, right? Now you know. They would the death angel would pass over your house, leave your house intact, and go on to the next one. Again, a, a prophetic picture of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross applied to our lives so that we are passed over in the final judgment. Our sins have been forgiven. They've been wiped out, right? There's going to be another Passover, if you will, on Judgment Day. 
And we who have, have received Christ have that blood of his, that innocent, spotless, sinless lamb sacrificed for us. And we will be protected. So, um, shortly after Israel comes out of Egypt, okay, in the Exodus, God tells Moses and Aaron that this Passover celebration is something that he wants them to celebrate every year, which obviously they're doing, you know, in the time of Jesus there, okay? So, every time that they do this, here is the instruction that God gives them. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. Speaking of that lamb, they, they not only sacrifice it, but they, they eat of it together. Um, that kind of goes into communion. Um, that's another sermon. But, but watch this. It shall be eaten in one house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Wow. John says, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. Do you see it? The circle is complete. The Passover in Egypt some 1,500 years before has now come full circle to this Passover, when this lamb is sacrificed. And the direction that God gave was to show that these two things were connected. Don't break the legs because I'm going to show you something 1,500 years in the future that's going to tie this and this together. And you will know that I am delivering you once again. This time, deliverance from sin and death to eternal life. And they missed it. They missed it. By and large, Israel as a nation, they missed it. Don't you miss it. Don't miss what we're seeing here. And another scripture, John says, written over 500 years beforehand, before crucifixion was even invented, Zechariah the prophet, chapter 12, verse 10, says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. I just, you just love the Word of God, how, how He takes this future event, this, this cataclysmic event in human history, the, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and puts pictures of it all throughout the Old Testament, because really it's one story, isn't it? One story from start to finish. How mankind fell in the garden became bound in sin and death. And God gives them the law. They can't keep it. They can't be good enough to be saved on their own. Right? It's proven over and over and over again. God sends a deliverer, Jesus Christ, who gives his own life so that we can be forgiven and saved. 
Now, this prophecy is not fully fulfilled. I believe from other places in Scripture, uh, Romans, Revelation, God still has a plan to pour out his grace on the nation of Israel. Uh, again, that's another message. But to the relatively few who got it, like Thomas the doubter, who after seeing the risen Christ said, my Lord and my God. Right? Look what it says here. Not only will they look upon him whom they have pierced and mourned, but it says they will look upon me. The same one who says he will pour out the spirit of grace says they will look upon me whom they have pierced. This is a good one if you're ever in a, in a, a pleasant conversation with, with a, a Jehovah's Witness or, or even a, uh, uh, a Jewish person. Say, who, who, who's talking here in Zechariah? I will pour out on the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace. Who's talking there? Well, it's God, right? And this says, they will look upon me, on him whom they have pierced. Say, when was God pierced? Hmm. Interesting question. Interesting question. Had they seen it, had they understood it, they would have put the pieces together and realized that they crucified the Lord of glory. But it all happened. Maybe it went over their heads. Maybe there was a blinding. I don't know. I do know it was God's plan from the beginning. It happened at this point in time that the true Passover lamb would be sacrificed on Passover to save both Jew and Gentile, which is the rest of us, right, from sin that we might not perish but have everlasting life. And John says this. He says, I've written all this down so that you also may believe. So, how is it with you today? Do you believe? Having seen the evidence, having seen the death of Jesus, having heard the scripture, the plan from the beginning, having heard the truth, the gospel, that Jesus Christ was sacrificed so that you could be delivered from sin and given eternal life. Have you believed? The Bible says he came to his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, he gave the ability to become the children of God. Have you received him as your Savior and Lord today? Let's pray. What wondrous love. What incredible love that the God of glory would come down for us, for me. I know me, Lord. I know who I am. I know my failures and my faults. That you would come. You, the God of, of glory, who, who just deserves to be worshipped and served, that you would come down. Take on human flesh. 
hang on that cross for me so that I would not perish in my sin, but could it receive the incredible grace of eternal life. That I could be welcomed as a child of God. To be welcomed into a personal relationship with you where I can know you and hear your voice and walk with you and be led in that way like building my house on a rock. Given wisdom and strength and peace in the difficult times, hope through the tough times. That no matter what happens in this world, I will be with you forever and ever and ever. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. More than I could ever say. More than we could ever say or hope to do. You're an awesome God. And as our heads are bowed this morning, I just want to make that invitation once again. If you're here or listening to this online and you have not received Jesus for yourself, I urge you, based on what we've heard this morning, based on the Word of God, based on the Holy Spirit who is right now tugging at your heartstrings. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever will hear my voice and open that door, I will come in. Would you open that door to him today? Just say in your heart, just say, Jesus, I'm opening my heart to you. I get it now. You came to save me. You love me that much. You don't want me to perish in sin. You want me to be with you forever and ever. Because you love me. So I open that door of my heart and I ask you, Lord, to come in. I give you my sin. I'm a sinner. I've blown it. No, no secret there. I ask you to be my Savior, my Savior and my Lord today. Touch my heart and my life, Lord. Teach me what it means to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And for you who have believed, do you see once again the faithful hand of God who brings his promises to pass even 1,500 years in the future? Because there is no word of God that falls to the ground. He says, it will accomplish what I send it to do. Would you be strengthened in your faith today? Would you be encouraged to trust him and the promises that he's made to you in his word? And would we also be inspired to take this good news as the early church was? and share it with those in our sphere of influence. Amen?